Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and this is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us for part two of our chat with John Hancock, who has been involved in the New Zealand wine industry for more than 35 years and has had significant influence in different uh, wineries and is currently uh, a founding winemaker and an owner of Trinity Hill in the Hawke's Bay of New Zealand. John originally hails from Australia and has worked there and around the world. So let's go pick up where we left our conversation with John. Anyway, we, after we had this lunch with the trade and press and they'd gone, I sat down with the owners of the Bleeding Heart and um, we'd had a few glasses of wine and, and the upshot of that was that they said when I left, uh, look, uh, we'd like to invest in the New Zealand wine industry. If you want to do something with us, you know, sing out, let us know. So I sort of hunted around for for uh, land, and we sort of talked about what we might like to do. Like we had really intended to make international quality uh, red wine. So that was the whole. That was really the whole premise that we sort of talked about at the start. And so I just sort of looked around quite a bit, and it just so happened at, at Morton we were involved with uh, the Gim- what's now called the Gimlet Gravels. We had a grower there. In fact, interestingly enough, he, and he doesn't exist anymore. It's a vineyard that was bought by delegates. But interestingly enough, he was a biodynamic grower. And probably around the same time as James Milton from Milton Wines in Gisborne started getting involved in biodynamics. So mm. he would have been the first or second biodynamic grape grower in New Zealand. Right. To us as, a, as producers, it wasn't a big deal. It was mm. just a, you know, a nice vineyard mm. um, that grew pretty good grapes mm. and just happened to be biodynamic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for him as a grape grower, it's really not economically viable to do it. Mm. The cost is really high, and you can end up with a lot of big losses as well. So if you're not making wine from the grapes yourself, it's mm. quite difficult to mm. make money mm. as a, as a vineyard owner in that particular circumstances. However, 1989 he uh, he had Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot in that vineyard. And 1989, we took the first grapes, the first red grapes. We'd taken white grapes for a couple of years before that, but the first red grapes. And they were so much better. They made wine for us that was so much better than anything we'd had from any other part of Hawke's Bay at that time. That, you know, sort of clicked and said, oh, actually, this is quite a nice little grape-growing winemaking area here. So, mm. you know, let's, let's work on it a little bit more. And we actually looked at, again, around that 1987 time because... Um, Morton Estate became a public company in 1987. Um, and so we were looking for it to expand, so we were looking at vineyards or places to, to plant vineyards. And this Gimlet Gravels area, that was part of that had come up, and the land was very cheap because mm. uh, it was useless for anything else apart from, you know, as it turned out, growing grapes. Mm. Mm. Um, but the board of Morton... Useless, um, stony? Yeah. Yeah. You yep. didn't grow any grass, no. so it was no good for no good for sheep, sheep. or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. It was very quite cheap land, but I, you know, I wasn't able to convince the board that that was a sensible uh, economic development. They thought it was too risky, no, because there really was only a few small vineyards there at that stage. Mm. So, uh, so uh, Morton ended up buying uh, further inland, mm-hmm. and you know, in the Hawke's Bay too. Though. In the Hawke's Bay, made great Chardonnay land, but it wasn't any good for for those sort of Bordeaux-style reds, Cabernet yep. Sauvignon, Merlot and yep. so on. Yeah. But this Gimlet Gravels, and we, we won a couple of trophies and stuff with them from their first year 
uh, at Morton from these from this Gimlet Gravels organic biodynamic vineyard. Oh, okay, so just using using the using the using the wine from the yeah southern. the grapes yeah. from there yeah. and yeah um, yeah to make yeah so we did very well so that sort of really put the picture in in into my head that this is where we wanted to be if we wanted to make that sort of in, you know international quality wine yep. red wine yep. in this sort of Bordeaux style, style. yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I never, I never really got involved with the Pinot Noir thing. Larry, Larry went off and did the Pinot Noir thing. Yes, uh, but I'd sort of gone the other way. I, I was more of a Bordeaux mm. fan than a Burgundy fan in mm. terms of red wine in those days. Mm. Mm. So then I went back to the Robin and Robert Wilson in London and said, "Look, I've found the, I've found where we want to buy the land." It started to come uh, available for sale uh, then in uh, nineteen ninety three. Uh, we bought our first piece of land. So that's where the whole Gimlet Gravels thing started for us, was 1993, and that's where, where Trinity Hill was sort of uh, conceived, I guess. Right, okay. okay. So we had, a, we had an Auckland partner at that stage, so there were three partners in Trinity Hill, so okay. that's where the name Trinity came from. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so you, you, yourself, Auckland partner, the and the, um, yeah, the restaurant owners. And yeah, the Bleeding Heart people in London. Heart. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, okay. And and did it take uh, some convincing for any of them that no. um, okay, yeah, they no, trusted not at all. you. That later on, it might have been slightly different. <laughs> yeah. And and is it partly because you had been able to have the experience of producing good wine from, yeah, from, from that grapes area. from that yeah. area? Yeah, and I, and personally, you know, I was quite well known in the Australian, uh, sorry, the New Zealand industry at that stage mm. as being one of the sort of high flyers right. uh, in right. terms of winemaking. Yeah. So, yeah, they 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 trusted. That you knew what you were talking yeah, about. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So we bought our first land in 93. We actually planted it the next year. Um, and we planted Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and Chardonnay in, in, in 1994. Then 1995 we planted Syrah. So they were the, five, the four varieties mm. so that we actually started with. And quite a big slab of it was Chardonnay mm-hmm. and and Merlot, and then Cabernet Sauvignon. And Syrah was a very new thing, really, in those days. Um, Alan Limmer, who's the, who's the guy who's credited with uh, rescuing Syrah in New Zealand from oblivion and planting it. His, I think the first wine from his might come out maybe 89, somewhere around about there. Okay. Okay, so it had been around, but just didn't yeah. have a lot of well, focus. Where he, he was working at uh, Teikofada, that's my good Australian version oh, yeah, of yeah. Tikawata. Yeah. Um, in uh, working in the research station, there was a vineyard wine research station in right. the, the Waikato. Yeah. God knows why it was there, but yeah. but uh, it was. And uh, they were, I think it had been sold, or they were turn, closing it down, or something. And they they were destroying. There was there was like library, a library of grapevines basically, and they were pulling them all out. Okay, and mm. he. He saved the the Syrah, uh, and okay. then planted it in his. Uh, okay, yeah. so they had a whole lot of varietals they were doing research on, and and yeah, yeah, and that was all finished. So they were yep. digging it out. Right. Okay, and he got the Syrah from there. He got and the Syrah. Took from, it to Hawkes Bay. Yeah, and he was living in Hawkes Bay. He just happened to be working up there over harvest or something, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so he brought that back, and that's. Those vines, and I'm not sure, might have been 20 vines or something that he brought back, uh, are the basis for most of the Syrah that's planted in New Zealand. Right. Oh, okay. Wow. And did he bring them back to Gimlet Gravels particularly or, or yeah, somewhere he did. else? He, did. Okay. He, he had a vineyard in Mary Road, which is uh, part of the Gimlet Gravels now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, and there's the, you know one other quite intriguing aspect to that. There's a there's a James Busby who came to Australia in the very early 1800s is regarded as the father of the Australian wine industry because he'd bought grapevines from France largely uh, back to Australia and they, you know, that was, that's where a lot of the, the start for, for vineyards in Australia came from what he brought into Australia. Mm. Then he came to New Zealand. He was, he was in the 1830s, I guess. He was New Zealand, oh, sorry, British resident. So like pre-government times in New Zealand, he was like the governor general basically basically there to represent the queen. Mm. And he brought those grape cutters or some of those grapevines to New Zealand as well. And there's a, there's a um, including Syrah, and right. there's a, someone did a, their master's thesis on this. Mm. And there is, seems to be a link between those vines that Alan Limmer saved from Tikawata, destruction oh, at Tikawata, okay. and the vines that that um, Busby, uh, Busby brought in in the 1830s. Right, right, okay. Mm. Wow. So it may well be, there's a possibility that the Shiraz in mm. Australia is mm. the same source as the Syrah in New Zealand. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So, wow. It's, yeah, it's quite interesting. And yeah, certainly, yeah. you know, the, the grapes of that look quite different to the Syrah clones and so on that are coming out of Europe at the moment. At now, right, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's it is quite an inch, that's, there's mm. a possibility that mm. there's a link there. Yeah, it's a yeah. nice story. Yeah, yeah, know, no, absolutely. Else. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Wow. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so so you started um Trinity Hill. Yes. Did you, so uh, we I left Morton at the beginning of 96. 96. Yeah. We really started Trinity Hill in 93, I guess, and I'd always intended to to leave Morton uh, leave Morton to come to once we got into production at at, uh, at Trinity Hill, so yeah, so planted for ninety three, left them for a few years. To, yeah, yep, yep, yep. We we actually started. We made our first wines in ninety six, mm-hmm. but not from those vineyards because they were still still coming still into coming production. On. Yeah, we worked with a contract grower in what's now the Bridge Par mm-hmm. Triangle area. Yeah, um, so we had Chardonnay, Sauvignon, Merlot. Not so that Bridge Par not being too far, is it? From no, it's not far. Yeah. Different soils, but. Yep. But it's you know a couple of kilometres away. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Bridge Park, the Bridge Park Triangle region, really touches onto the Gimlet Gravels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so um, we made their first wines that year, and we made a Chardonnay, a Sauvignon, and a and a red blend, which was Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Syrah, mm-hmm. all from that same vineyard in the in the uh, Bridge Park area. And we made that at Sacred Hill. I worked the harvest, 96 oh. harvest at Sacred Hill. Right, okay. Uh, that year. So we made the wines there and yep. built the Trinity Hill winery in time for 97 harvest when we started taking fruit from our own vineyards in the Gimlet Gravels. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Warren Gibson, who's now our senior winemaker, I actually hired him when I was at Morton uh, in 1986. So he, uh, he then, uh, we paid for him to go to Roseworthy. Right. So right. he got his degree, Roseworthy, yeah. uh, 1992, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. And one of the pre, one of the uh, specifications in the agreement with him was we'd pay for him to go to Roseworthy, then he would come back and work for Morton Estate for three years before he could go off and do anything else. Yeah. When he came back after he graduated, we really didn't have a job for him. So I said to him, look, I'm going to be doing my own thing before too long, I want you to 
go around the world, get as much experience as you can. Yeah. So he worked all over the place, Italy, France, it's, uh, California, yeah. <coughs> Australia. Yeah. And uh, uh, then he joined Trinity Hill in 1997, time for 97 Harvest. <coughs> so he's worked with me ever since then. Right, okay. And now he looks after all the winemaking and I'm really more involved with, uh, you know, dealing with the public. Yep, 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 okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what were the – what were the so, so you started out with a blend and yeah, Chardonnay. We, yeah, yep. and that was under what we call the Hawke's Bay Range. So that we, have, we have two or three ranges, actually. We've got the white label Hawke's Bay Range. Yeah. We have the black label Gimblet Gravels Range and then we have make the thing called Homage yep. at and, the top. And the blend, um, so you said it was what, predominantly was, Merlot. It was, it was Cap- Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Syrah in that sort of order. Syrah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. And was that unusual to have the Syrah? Yeah, there wasn't with... very much Syrah available at that stage. No, and to be honest, in that vineyard side, it wasn't that great either. Right, but and to blend it is yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't want to. You know, there was too small a volumes of it to yeah. to really do uh, do a wine on its own. Yeah, but you know that that Cabernet. Cabernet uh, Syrah blend is quite common, or Shiraz in Australia is quite yeah. common. Yeah. And I suppose that may well have stemmed from what they used to do in Bordeaux. You know, in less than great years in Bordeaux, they would bring wine up from the Rhone Valley, Shiraz oh, from the Rhone Valley, and right? blend it right. surreptitiously. Blend oh, it okay. It. So Cabernet Shiraz was, was uh, probably started, got maybe... Could have been there since sixteen, seventeen hundreds. Maybe. Oh wow! Okay, okay, okay. I hadn't, um, I hadn't picked up on that before. Wow! And is is, is that, that's not um, allowed? Though, no, is it's it? not no. allowed. No, and I doubt very much would they do it now. Or well, knowing the French, they probably do. Yeah. <laughs> Sneak <laughs> it in tankers in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know, if they can, if they can attack tankers from Spain, bringing Spanish bulk wine, and you know they do it quite regularly. Yeah. The, the yeah. producers in the. In the Languedoc and area, mm. Roussillon areas in the right. sort of southwest of France yeah. are very militant. Yeah, right. So they see the Spanish wine coming in, and, and it's a and it's a threat to them. They'll right. stop the truck and empty right. all the wine out on oh, the side of the yeah, road okay. and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and and is that that. Um, Openness to maybe doing slightly different blends continue because you've got it, you've you've blended Tempranillo as well, have you not? Yeah, you know, we. Yeah. I, I've sort of always had this philosophy was that you know if you can't be first in a category, start a new category. <laughs> so, so um, and also because uh, the, the Gimlet Gravel is such a young grape growing area that we don't know when. I mean, we planted Cabernet and Merlot and those things there but mm. who knows if they're going to be the best variety for that for that particular area mm. so i was always interested in trying other bits and pieces to see whether you know give it the chance to if it does well then you can do something with it if it doesn't do well you know get rid of it and try something else mm. and economically mm. that mightn't be the most sensible thing to do but for me it was a curiosity thing as much well yeah and, look, and, and looking to the future as much as anything with yeah. me and as you say i mean you know most we're still so relatively young that um you you can't actually say for a lot of these regions, oh, this is not going to work until well, you actually and, you try know, it. Of course, there's the elephant in the room now of climate change as well. Mm, mm, uh, mm. Yeah, so changing what might have not worked before. You might have to go back and try things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Tempranillo has been one for probably, you know, we've probably tried a dozen 
different things. Uh, mm. Tempranillo has been one that has been successful, mm. makes mm. terrific wine, mm. uh, probably in the whole of Hawke's Bay, but mm. certainly in the Gimlet Gravels it works exceptionally well. And you do it both as a blend <laughs> and as a single varietal, don't you? We do yeah. it, well, it does end up sometimes in, you know, the Hawke's Bay um, uh, white label range. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, uh, basically, basically Tempranillo we make uh, as a blend. So we, if you if you have a minimum of eighty five percent of that variety in the wine, then you could call it by that variety. So that gives us fifteen percent to play around with. Yeah. Yep. So we always use a small portion of uh, Tariga Nacional, mm. which is one of the port varieties. Which yes. <clears throat> we've been playing around with a little bit as well. Yes. Yeah. So about ten percent of Tariga Nacional goes into our Tempranillo vines. So we just think that... <coughs> so what is, what is that, what is that um, traditionally, where does that come from? Is that... Um, oh, we'll come back to that. Now, Tempranillo is a, um, a, sp- a Spanish grape variety. It was also mm-hmm. grown in Portugal. No, but the... Um, the oh. uh, was it a Tariga Nacional? Tariga Nacional is a mm. port variety from Portugal. From Portugal. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually brought... Uh, Tariga Nacional and Tempranillo in to New Zealand from Australia in 1992. Oh, when I was okay. at Morton. Yes, and uh, it had to go through the quarantine system. We had a specific thing that we wanted to play with it at, at Morton. We had some steep slopes between terraces and a vineyard, and I thought we could plant a bit there and make some sort of fortified wine. Okay, so th- this was in, in the Bay of Plenty. No, no. <clears throat> This was still in. This was in, with the new Morton Vineyard oh, the, plantings in Hawke's in Bay. In Hawke's Bay, okay. <coughs> yep. Yeah, so um, when I left Morton, they were still, they'd just come out of quarantine. Yep. And they were still in plastic bags, and they said, oh, we don't really want these. If you want them, you can, you can have them. So I took them with me to Trinity, and then uh, we, we planted them. And the, and the variety that grew the quickest really was the Tempranillo, so we propagated that up and, and we used it for table one. I think the first one we made uh, was 2002. Mm. So, so we've been making it for quite a long, you know, 15 yeah. years now. Yeah. And it's been very successful for us. Yeah. It's done well. And now other people are starting to do it as well. Mm. Mm. I actually bought a Church Road McDonald series. Uh, 2013 Tempranillo the other day for yeah. 19.99. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, I think it normally sells for about 30 bucks, but mm. man, it was a really good bottle of wine at yeah. 19.99. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. And is there um, anything about Tempranillo for you? Um, it, like, do you think it always is better to have at least a couple of years generally on well, it? Well, yeah. Well, there's a couple of things about Tempranillo that make it really useful. <coughs> Excuse me. And one is that it it, uh, it ripens early. Mm. And that's what the name Tempranillo means, the early, oh. early one. Okay. Yeah, mm. So that's an advantage for us, for sure. Um, and it drinks well when it's young, but also can age quite nicely. I mean, mm. the 2002 was just a small batch of stuff that probably didn't age that well, but 2003 onwards, they aged really well. Mm. Mm. And and um, what are we talking for age for that? Sort of five, <coughs> six years or longer? Yeah, and I've seen them at 10 years and they they look good. Right, Okay. Yeah, There's but no, still, you can drink them sort of one or two years, and they yeah, they're quite yeah. they're quite soft, silky yeah. sort of tannin structure mm. to them. That mm. uh, while they have plenty of tannin, it's quite soft, and the wines right. are really drinkable. Yeah, yeah. So right not not, not too aggressive as young wines. No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
No, so um, we are seeing guys like Villa Maria have some. I think mm-hmm. Craigie Range have got some somewhere. I don't know if they've made or released any wine from there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Montana or Church Road Brancot people have it mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> looks mm-hmm. promising. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we've had it on our own for quite a long time, and it's not been uh, that easy. Mm. But we make enough so that just that we can sell it out, uh, and we don't try and make any more than that. Right, right, okay, and not easy given that there's not a, a, a sort of ready market for. Well, people it. don't really know it. No, no. Yeah, uh, they might, or even in New Zealand, probably not even uh, Rioja. Mm-hmm. Uh, is not really that big a wine, and your wasn't. Starting no. to see quite a lot of Spanish wines yes. coming at various price levels coming yes. in now, and. Yeah. You know, inevitably, yeah. well, they're not all Tempranillo, of course, but, no. you know, inevitably, really good value for money. Mm. 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 No, definitely. Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, and that's a bit of a battle, I guess, because we're sort of a, you know, there's a lot of stuff under 20 bucks that's pretty damn good out of Spain, and we're a $35 mm. wine. Mm. Mm. So you've mm. got to, you certainly can't, won't sell huge volumes of it, but yeah. it's a nice to have another string to your bow, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, no, that's right. That's and right. it does also, you know, in most years, Quite a bit of that will end up in there, what we call the Trinity yes. blend. So, which yep. will be a Merlot-based blend of a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. And all these experimental things generally end mm. up in that if they're good enough. Mm. <coughs> mm. Mm. Okay. Monte is another one that we've actually yes. had yep. some success with as well. Mm. And do you blend that? These too? days, quite a bit of it we're using it for rosé. Oh, okay. Right. So, right. we make a rosé that's uh, Malbec. And Montepulciano, right? Okay, so a blend. Point of difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And what what style does? What, how would you describe that rosé as? A, um, a style? Sort of berry, fruity, yeah. and, and um, dry. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And we're trying to make the colour as light as we can as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the fortified wines. I mean, that's um, yeah. something that's fairly yeah, well, cause, unique. You know, as I mentioned before, I might have been the first time I yeah. mentioned before <laughs> I worked. Uh, uh, for one of the Lindemann's wineries in northeast Victoria mm. <clears throat> and the Rutherglen area. So I've got a real love for fortified wines. You know, that's what they made there. They didn't really make much else. Yeah. And fascinating. I only worked there for a year, but it's a fascinating area. That whole fortified thing quite intrigued me. And, mm. and there's such a beautiful old material. Mm. You know, they can, <clears throat> mm. most of the blends in the top, the top blends from the small producers there will have wine that's part of that blend will be 100 years old. Yeah, 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 that's quite cool, isn't it? Yeah. That's a, that, you know, blend it down through the... Those famous muskets, mm. Rutherglen musket, and uh, what used to be called uh, Rutherglen toke, they can't call it that anymore, they've got to call it something else, mm. and, which is unfortunate, but they were, they were both beautiful wines, mm. really good. Mm. 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 Okay, and yeah, so, so, so you've, just, you've, um, you've kept that interest in the, in the fortified wine... <laughs> Style. Yeah, we, well, as I said, you know, the reason for bringing those two great, those two varieties, Tempranillo and Tariga Nacional, <coughs> into New Zealand uh, was to make fortified wine, just for a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. But as it as it turned out, we started making table wine from the Tempranillo. See, Tempranillo is is one of the port varieties as well, but mm. they call it uh, Tindaroras mm-hmm. in Portugal. Mm-hmm. So same variety, different name. Right, okay, okay. We okay. also have another one of the port varieties, and there's five recommended varieties there now so called uh, Tariga Franca mm. so mm. we've got three of the five recommended uh, nobody else in New Zealand will have all of those mm. 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 <coughs> the best of my knowledge nobody has Tariga Nacional unless they've sort of come into our vineyard and stolen it right yeah <laughs> no I've never seen it 
no. seen it from a New Zealand producer. Mm. But it, it actually makes great table wine on its own mm. as well. Mm. But we don't have very much of it. There's only a small amount. Yeah, sure. Okay. So we do make this fortified wine, and it'll be a blend of those three, those three grape varieties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And, and we've, I think the first one we made was 2004. So we just actually had one. We make only a couple of barrels a year, so it's mm. not very much. Mm. And it's a cellar door only type wine. Okay. <clears throat> but um, we did bottle the one barrel that we had of 2004, still just fairly recently, bottled it into a fancy bottle, a very fancy you know, gift pack and all the rest yeah. of it, with a very fancy price on it. Sells at cellar door, you know, for just a, there's 300 bottles of it, you know. That's yeah, it. nice. Yeah. Yeah, good. It is pretty good, you know. Twelve-year-old, yeah. <coughs> yeah. tawny. Yeah, lovely. Oh, very cool. And and so, what? Where do you see? Um, what are you seeing? Anything that's that's coming on that's sort of taking your interest? No, maybe not specifically even for Trinity Hill, but you're seeing happening in the New Zealand market. Well, and you're seeing yeah. that. Sadly, I suppose in a way that New Zealand market is totally dominated by two grape varieties. Mm. It's Sauvignon, of course, mm. and Pinot Noir. Mm. So Sauvignon, I don't know, is 65% of New Zealand market, mm. something like that. Mm. And uh, Pinot Noir is well, 65%, I think, of all New Zealand, maybe 70% of all New Zealand red wine sales is Pinot Noir. Mm. So we've really <clears throat> chosen a horse that does, uh, is, people aren't backing, mm. Mm. sadly. Uh, so, and that's a problem for Hawke's Bay as a whole. It's mm. very much the same. The sort of things that we do in Hawke's Bay are not really fashionable. <clears throat> There's... Uh, Chardonnay. You, well, Chardonnay's starting to make a good comeback, and yes. Hooks Bay is always, you know. But the, the but the name Marlborough and Central Otago to a degree, but Marlborough in particular is so strong in people's minds that it almost precludes anything else. Do you think that that carries across to Chardonnay as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, mm. my this is my own personal opinion. Mm. I, I think Hawke's Bay Chardonnay is by far the best Chardonnay in New Zealand. Well, well that that's um, you know, I, uh, that that would be my preference. Um, that would, hence my question as to whether yeah. you think that you know the um, Marlborough. I'm not a massive fan of Marlborough Chardonnay. There are a couple no. of producers who do a great job with it, mm. no question. Mm. But I'm not generally a massive fan of of Marlborough as a, Sauvignon as a region. <clears throat> oh, sorry, Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that's the local domestic market. What about export market? Is that um... yeah? No, look, Marlborough totally dominates. You mm-hmm. know, eighty five percent, eighty five percent of New Zealand's exports are Sauvignon Blanc, mm. of which the vast majority would be from Marlborough. Mm. Mm. And mm. so, it's, and 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 Central Otago Pinot uh, has a market as well, and and I think the reason is that. Sauvignon out of Marlborough is a very unique style of wine. You can't really replicate it anywhere else in the world, mm. even within New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And the same, uh, I think, for Central Otago Pinot Noir, it has a very specific characteristic that's not going to be able to be made anywhere else. Mm. So they can hang their hats on that. Hawke's Bay, on the other hand, makes <clears throat> quite a big range of wines because mm. it's such a big region. There's a lot of different uh, microclimates within Hawke's Bay, a lot of different soil types. You can make pretty much the whole range of wines from anywhere in the world, mm. and but they're not unique. Mm. You know, Chardonnay from Hawke's Bay could come from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cab Merlot or Merlot Cab style wines could come from other parts of the world as well, like Bordeaux or whatever. Mm. Um, whereas I think the one grape variety which is very distinctly Hawke's Bay is Syrah, mm-hmm. <coughs> and mm-hmm. I think... 
that is a you know a grape variety that Hawke's Bay can really make an international name with. Right. Sadly, you know Syrah in, in the international terms is not a massive selling wine mm. Mm. in the states. You know, <laughs> you hear all these comments. I heard one from the other day. Uh, some American uh, woman wine critic had said. It's easier to get rid of a case of syphilis than it is to get rid of a case of Syrah. <laughs> you know, so there's a, the U.S. market, which we we actually have a big U.S. shareholder now. So the U.S. market is a very important mm. uh, growing upcoming market for mm. us. Mm. Syrah is not really regarded right. very much in the States, whereas, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon is really what they're big into in the States. Yeah, yeah. But do you think as... as uh, yeah, you know the, the the middle class um, as a market grows internationally, um, and that uh, people do seek out more niche type uh, products that that that's opening up opportunities even for promoting Gimlet gravels as, yeah, a, sure. as, a, as a as a as a terroir. It's in it in, 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 in a way. Uh it's a bit unfortunate, but Gimlet Gravels is probably better known internationally than Hawke's Bay. Mm. Mm. It should be the other way around, but mm. uh, well, hopefully, you know. Gimlet Gravel's reputation internationally mm. can drag Hawke's Bay as a whole mm. uh, into mm. into the wider thinking yeah. of things in in the world market. Yeah, 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 okay. Okay. Um, and so, you know, anything coming through that um, has particularly oh, right. taken your notice as to um, a, yeah, a variety? We sort of maybe? started talking about that, didn't we? <clears throat> um, not so much in terms of red wine. Mm. Um, I mean, there are a few slightly newer things like Tempranillo and whatever that mm. I think do have great promise, mm. but um, not we've not suited to growing things like Grenache, which has got a bit of a kick in internationally at the moment. Mm. We're not warm enough, not hot enough for Grenache. Um, but in white wines, I think there's some interesting things coming out, and, the, mm. and the, probably the variety that uh, I've always thought. New Zealand should do pretty well. Uh, is Albarino? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's certainly something I've. I, I Greener Veltlin is another one that people talk yeah. about, but I, you know, yeah, to me Albarino yeah. is a is a much more interesting variety than than Gruner. No, that's it's interesting to say because I I think it's um um for me I often struggle with with a, a Pinot Gris New Zealand mm. Pinot Gris um n- not having enough for me and then a Sauvignon just being a bit too. For, for me, over over the top, and for me, Alberino almost sits somewhere yeah, in between. Indeed. And I think um, it can suit New Zealand cuisine quite well, seafood. And, absolutely, mm, absolutely. Mm. And it seems to be, a few people have taken up, seems to grow okay. Yeah, and, mm. and, and quite a few different parts of the country. Mm. I would have thought, you know, looking at where it grows in Spain and Portugal, Alberino, Alberino, mm. um, high humidity, sort of, and I thought it would suit the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly Gisborne, yeah, very well. Yeah, I know. It's, I've seen some. Well, I haven't tried the wine, but I've seen it around from uh, Central Otago. Mm. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. Central is mm. an interesting area. I mm. mean, it's a very, very marginal region, and they've been extremely yeah. lucky. I'd say over the last ten, fifteen years that they've had really good seasons, and maybe global warming or, you know, mm. global climate change will mm. benefit them mm. greatly, and some of those varieties may become much more important. Mm. 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 No, I've had, um, had, 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 a, had a few locally, Nautilus yeah. and a, um, Villa Maria, I think, yeah. are doing one. Mm. Cooper's mm-hmm. Creek yep. uh, from Gisborne as well. Mm. Yeah, no, mm. I think that's maybe one variety that could become pretty, especially, again, in this whole climate thing change thing, they're talking about 
hotter summers but more rain. Right. Uh, yeah. You could do <laughs> without the more yeah, rain bit. But. That's a bit of a struggle, isn't it? <clears throat> yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. And, and just to finish off yeah. on, um, our question about if you, if you could pick anyone uh, down through history, sort of alive now or dead or, or, or someone you can think of that hasn't even existed yet, which is a bit esoteric, and who would you have a glass of wine with them? What wine do you think you'd like to sit down with them and, and have? Um, the, the, I was brought up and really grew up in the 60s. Yeah. So uh, the, probably the thing that influenced me most during that sort of period was the, were the Beatles. Okay. Yeah. They're fascinating. You know, you can't if if you weren't here around <clears throat> in the early nineteen sixties, you know, nineteen sixty three, nineteen sixty four, where you know all these you know Mersey Beat magazine and the Beatles Monthly and all this, the influence that the Beatles and I guess the the, the whole Liverpool thing to a lesser degree, the mm. the influence that they had on culture, yes. music was is unbelievable. Mm. That mm. was the first. I mean, when I was a kid, you could buy beetle wig, you mm. know, all this mm. sort of stuff. That, or cups, you know, beetle branded, mm. lunch mm. boxes, the whole mm. bit. They must have been the first uh, to sell this sort of... Um, a uh, band as a brand. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. All that sort of added on stuff. Unbelievable. Mm. And, you know, the photos and stuff are everywhere. So anyway, you know, they sort of... I was a massive music, I still am really a massive music fan. Mm. And the Beatles, to me, were so influential. And the thing that I really liked about the Beatles is that they changed. You know, they started off just doing covers, basically, mm. and then worked through to, you know, the White, the White Album, yeah. which is pretty bizarre and mm. out there, a lot of it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they didn't do the same thing forever. They, from year to year, they just changed and changed and changed. So, I, to me, that is fantastic because that's sort of my philosophy with wine. Right. Is you can't make the same thing all the time. You've mm. got to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not moving forward, then you're going backwards. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you know that's always been important to me. Is that um, being able to give the the winemaking team the um, ammunition to be able to continue to move forward, and that's really important. I think that's you know well, with me really stepping back from winemaking now is great that Warren and his offsiders can move forward to do things. Uh, in a in a slightly new way, and just yeah. as an aside, before we go back to the other thing, my twenty three year old son's got another two months to go in his winemaking degree. Wow! So he's uh, he's actually in the UK. <coughs> nice. So he's been he's been actually working at uh, my business partner's restaurants in London straight oh. out of school. So as an eighteen year old, straight dumped into very very busy, and they've got more than one restaurant now. Right, yeah. Right, so he's right. sort of been involved straight out of school working in hospitality with them Very good. and uh, worked a harvest in Bordeaux and said, I think I'd quite like to do winemaking now. Mm. So he's studying at a place called Plumpton, which is in near Brighton, mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of you know the UK wine growing area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the only it's basically the only winemaking school in Europe in English. So you know that was a that was a big advantage yeah, as well. Yeah. So rather than come back to New Zealand or Australia and do it, do it there where you're close to the action in Europe. Mm. So he's done a couple of harvests in Europe. Mm. Mm. Anyway, back to the other thing. Um, so would it be all of the Beatles? You'd be no. I'd, you know, my initial favourite of the Beatles was John, of mm. course, because John, John too. Yeah, so yeah. that was. Then I got. Oh, I didn't really like him towards the end. <laughs> so Paul McCartney would be it for me. Okay. You know, he's yeah. a, a great craftsman. Mm. Uh, you know, and probably really John probably gets a lot of credit 
for what's happened with the Beatles, but really if it wasn't for Paul, I don't think you know the Beatles would have continued on from their very early days. Mm. Mm. And he's always wanted to play live, get out in front of people and all the rest of it. So, mm. yeah, I'd like to have a glass of wine with him. And in view of you know what I was talking before about Chardonnay, uh, influential. It would be a glass of Chardonnay with Paul, and it yeah. would be that 1979 Louis oh, uh, Louis good. Latour Cordon Charlemagne. <laughs> very good, very good. We wrap around back back to that. That's perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Oh well, that's a that's a good note to finish on. So thanks, John. I really appreciate your time today. You're more than welcome. It's yeah. been fun. Yeah, it's been good talking. Yeah. Cheers. Indeed. Cheers. Now. That was part two of our conversation with John Hancock. Be sure to check out some of the other great episodes where we've spoken with some other uh, fantastic people in the New Zealand wine industry. Thanks for listening in. Hey, corner my bye for now. <laughs>